Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. <laughs> And on Instagram at Monkeys Fighting Robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. <laughs> Welcome to episode four of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Today is going to be a lot of fun. Very excited about today. Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, Bill Corbett. Join me to talk about their upcoming Riff Tracks live session where they riff on the worst movie ever, The Room. I hopped on YouTube and I prepared for this interview and I tried to watch like the first, they have a seven minute clip on YouTube of the worst of the best or whatever it is. And I only made it through two and a half, three minutes. I just had to bail. I just had to bail. Uh, later on the show, we're going to break down Fight Club 2, number one from Dark Horse Comics, Chuck Palahniuk returns to the scene. Hi, babe. I have something for you. But first, it is main event time, people. Mike J. Nelson is the former host and writer of the Emmy-nominated, Peabody Award-winning Mystery Science Theater 3000. Since that time, he has appeared on numerous radio and television shows, penned a regular column for TV Guide, and authored best-selling books for both Harper Collins and Abrams. Kevin Murphy has cultivated the act of talking back to the movies into an art form and a career. For 10 years, Kevin co-wrote and directed Mystery Science Theater 3000 and starred as the plucky red robot Tom Servo. Bill Corbett is a former writer for Mystery Science Theater 3000 and also a performer on the show, providing the voice of the robot Crow and playing various other strange characters including the all-powerful but clueless alien, The Observer. On May 6th, the crew will riff on The Room. Go to fathomevents.com for tickets and info. Hey, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. You. Bill, I don't want you to feel left out. I heard that before, so we want to make sure that you're, you're in The Room. I am here. Why did you pick The Room? Oh, The Room seems an obvious choice. Uh, if you've ever gone and seen... This movie, uh, it, it has sort of a legendary status by now. It's, uh, it uh, is not wrongly considered the Citizen Kane of bad movies, and I think that's in part just because of the strength of the guy who steers this ship, this, uh, this weird uh, movie, and that's Tommy Wiseau, who's the director, the writer, the star, uh, the producer. And, and he tried so hard to make this serious drama, and he failed so miserably that now he calls it a black comedy. And, and takes it around the country. And when we got an opportunity to riff it live, we said, absolutely, yes, we want to do this immediately. When I was researching this interview, I made it through about three minutes of the best of the room <laughs> highlights, and then I had to cut it off. I was like, I have enough. I have enough. 
How much preparation is involved with creating a riff track? Well, there's quite a bit of uh, writing the script. We spend, uh, you know, probably the better part of a week or more writing a first draft, and then we uh, smash it all together, our various sections, and we see where we've made the same jokes. And eventually we get together in the same room and kind of work it out and improvise. So that's where the, that's where the real spade work is in, in doing a riff track. And from there, it's just fun performing and, uh, you know, hopefully making people laugh. How many... We do actually use shovels to put the shows together. It's true. How many times have you guys watched The Room? Oh, we've seen it quite a lot at this point. Um, many times, but also, we should add, uh, excruciatingly slowly as well. Uh, we have seen Tommy's grisly man-ass for more hours than a man should. <laughs> yes. What do you guys look for in a movie to put it on the list to be riffed? I think The Room is exemplary of the kind of movie that we love because it's so... It's so earnest, it really wants to be this serious drama, and it just it just never gets there. It's, it's, it's like a symphony created by a tone-deaf person. It's just so excruciatingly, wonderfully bad that it, you know, it, 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 it's hard to quantify it, because um, you can't make a good, bad movie, really. I mean, people try. I think that's the case with Sharknado. It's another reason why we like it is that they tried to make a bad movie, and they failed even at that. So when people try really hard to do these things, and then it just doesn't quite work, none of the notes are ever hit, that's perfect for us. Is there an unriffable movie? Oh, absolutely. There's a, I'd say there's a couple that, uh, the examples I always give when I get a ver- variation on this question are Schindler's List and maybe Hotel Rwanda, stuff like that that just has such powerful, real-life, tragic components, even if they're not the most brilliant movie, if you tried to make funny stuff out of that. Um, you really run the risk of seeming like like a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> you riffed Sharknado last year. Why are you guys going back to Sharknado two? You know, it was uh, it was not an easy choice to do it at first because of the fact that you know it is winking at itself. But there's a core of seriousness to it where they really are trying to thrill you, and that's a tradition that goes way back. I mean, a lot of big movies have some dumb monster. They didn't think the monster was, you know, there was a wink and a nod to a lot of B-movies, but they still work. And Sharknado was really, really successful. People loved it. Um, So, and Sharknado just sort of ups that, ups the ante a little bit, but has the same components in it. And and is there some cheekiness? Yes, of course, but uh, it, it still works really well for us. Have you guys tried to get into Sharknado 3 so you could riff yourselves? Universe would explode. <laughs> yes. There's a real danger in doing something like that. It's like touching the third rail. It's a bad idea. What's the best part of performing in front of a large audience? Uh, I, I'd uh, say it's, it's to finally go in front of other human beings <laughs> and, and see if they think we're funny. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very energizing. I, I know, we, you know it can be a little bit nerve-wracking, too, because it's a live satellite feed, and Stuff can go wrong, and, and nothing major has so far, although there's always a couple of line flubs and improvisations. But I, I really like the energy, and I really like learning what people think are funny and not particularly funny, and just, uh, yeah, enjoying the, the crowd after writing it for so long. Going around the group, who were your biggest influences growing up? We probably all have the, the uh, Monty Python we probably share. Uh, that was a big one for me, Laurel and Hardy. Um, the uh, Marx Brothers, Bugs Bunny. Absolutely. Uh, we have Warner Brothers cartoons in general. I would even add 
Bob Hope movies of the 40s. I loved those as a kid. He was just, you know, he had this weird breaking the third wall, wall kind of drollness that I loved. What advice do you have for people trying to break into the comedy scene today? Oh, there's so many ways to do it. I, I think just just uh, create, you know. Um, uh, I, I started in stand-up, and I just you, you just try to work every night. You try to go open stage. And in Minneapolis at the time, I was lucky enough where there was like, you know, seven nights uh, you could work all, uh, all, you know, every day of the week. So, yeah, just do stuff. There's you know, lots of ways to put it out there. Yeah, and find like-minded people wherever they are in your yeah. in your area. And there are so many outlets now online. I mean, the way the podcasts have uh, uh, taken people who were, you know, not terribly popular and made them really popular just because they were so good and they worked so hard at it. So there are ways to do it. There are now even legit YouTube stars who are, you know, breaking out of breaking the mold of how you do it for, for better or worse. They're uh, they're famous for their comedy on YouTube. Comedy has definitely gone multimedia, like you said. Is there anybody that impresses you today? Nah. <laughs> no, no, comedians hate other comedians. No, I'm like, yeah. I love Paula Tompkins. I think he does wonderful things online. Uh, and in uh, his shows, uh, I think he's done things very, you know, really well. Super Ego is a podcast that I, I love dearly. Um, Comedy Bang Bang still uh, online and, uh, and on their TV show. I have some social media questions. Cheryl wants to know, what was the most painful movie you guys have ever had to sit through? Transformers. <laughs> Seconded. Third it. Alex from Wisconsin wants to know, this is about the room, at what point in the film did you realize it was pure gold? <laughs> as soon as he opens the door in the first scene, because there's True. this sort of panorama of San Francisco with slightly dramatic music, but you could almost believe that it's a, you know, a regular film until that moment. And then it, you know, it cuts to the interior of the apartment, and he opens and he says, Oh, hi, babe. And you're like, what happened? What is this? We're in different territory now. Space Cowboy wants to know which do you prefer, stuffing or mashed potatoes? Oh, stuffing! Come on, wet bread. What could be better? <laughs> Mike, Kevin, Bill, thank you so much for your time. Our pleasure. That was Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, Bill Corbett on Rift Tracks Live. They're going to make fun of the room on May six. Go see it. Go to fathomevents.com. Check out the tickets. Check out the website because they're going to be doing a lot. There was something about Santa Claus in an Easter Bunny movie at the end of the year. I didn't even want to touch that. To stay in touch with these guys on Twitter, follow Mike at Michael J. Nelson. Follow Kevin at K.W. Murphy. And follow Bill at Bill Corbett. Let's switch gears from comics to comic books. Fight Club 2 from Dark Horse Comics has a prelude coming out this Saturday for free comic book day. Do I have your attention now? If you are living under a rock for the past 20 years and are not sure what Fight Club is, you would pick up issue one. You would read it and you'd be like, I want issue two now. That is how amazing this book is. Their tagline, some imaginary friends never go away. Drop Dead Fred just came in my head right there, but 
somebody's going to show up. Chuck Palahniuk published Fight Club in 1996, and then it became this insane, controversial film in 99. It made nerds want to fight each other and made bros even bigger douchebags. That's kind of why everyone's like, oh, Fight Club's amazing. And I was like, yes, Fight Club is amazing. But what it has done is it made douchebags even bigger douchebags because now they're going to quote Tyler Durgan. Let's fast forward to now. Generation X is all grown up. Every other generation hates on millennials. It sounds like a perfect time for a sequel to a book that didn't need one. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. But this is where things come around. In 25 pages, Polonic gets you off the couch and back into the Fight Club game. No one knows where they're going in Fight Club. But you know what we do? We, we enjoy that ride. That ride that Chuck puts us on is just pure amazing. And this is what made the story, the first story, so great. It gets readers feeling right back into it. You know, like the movie just ended. Edward Norton just shot himself in the face. And you're like, how do you get how do you get back? But what is really amazing about the first issue, for me, Chuck Blonick, this is a this is an author. This guy writes books. But I would, how is he gonna translate the comic books? Did it amazingly well. He 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 puts down a solid plot and then gives you a last page cliffhanger, which I'm a huge fan of. If you want me to buy issue two, I need to desperately want to buy issue two. And I flipped to the last page. And I was like, holy shit. And then I flipped again. I was like, there's no more pages. This is the worst. God damn it. But no, that's that's good. That's what you want to happen in a comic book. He established the ground rules for a story. He gives us an understanding of the characters involved. I was emotionally invested with the characters. I'm like, I know who these are. What's going on? There's a few people that I don't like already. There's a few people I do like. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, issue two. Give me issue two. You can't ask for much more from a first issue. Marla Singer, the face that launched a thousand trips to the ER, she's back and she's evil. Cameron Stewart, Dave Stewart, those guys, Cameron's on art, Dave's on colors, and they are definitely on the same brain pattern when it comes to color in the first issue. Cameron's cartoonish style lends to the over over the top nature of Fight Club. I mean, that universe is, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the head. There's a lot of head games going on. And then there's, you don't know what reality and what is not reality. So having a little bit of a cartoonish style works really well. With my knowledge of the book and the previous film or of the, of the original Fight Club, I found myself looking at every panel of the comic book. I mean, like, okay, where's the hidden meaning in this book, I know it's going to be here. There's something that's going to smack me in the face. I want to know what it is. Which, if you're an artist and a colorist, you're like, okay, I got to put extra detail. I got to, you know, I got to, they got to make their stuff look perfect. And they did. It, it just, the book flowed. I, I opened it up. I read it. And I, like everything else disappeared in my world. But the one thing I do know is I'm going to have some dreams. After that first issue, I'm probably going to dream about some train crashes, some barking dogs, exploding heads, the Hindenburg, and of course, everybody's favorite, Tyler Durgan. For grades, I gave Fight Club 2, number one, a 4.5 out of 5. The writing got a 4.5, the artwork got a 4.5. I'm not sure what a 5 is yet, so I don't want to give it to anything yet. I think it's more of a completed story. We get to the story arc and it smacks me in the face and then we have a complete story and I'm like, okay, gave 4.5s the whole entire time. 
this book is a complete story is a five. If you disagree with my review, go to monkeysfightingrobots.com, go to the review, and there's a grading system underneath it, and you can like click on the arrows that you want to, the, the stars that you want to give it to, and you can give it your own rating. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. So go click that button. Click it. But there's so many other ways. There's the, the internet's amazing. I put out a podcast and it goes everywhere. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes. That's usually probably the simplest way. We have Stitcher for those Android people. I feel like there's a few out there. There's also TuneIn. TuneIn is a great app if you want to listen to radio. But now they're picking up podcasts and we're on that as well. So there are tons of places for you to go and listen to Monkeys Fight Robots podcast and comment on all that stuff. Just give me some ratings here and there. Be like, listen, Matt, you suck. And tell me why I suck, and then we'll fix it up. We'll make it better. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the fourth episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Thank you to Rift Tracks, Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett for calling the Monkeys Fighting Robots hotline. Thank you to Dark Horse Comics, Chuck Polonic, Cameron Stewart, Dave Stewart, for issue one of Fight Club 2, Jeff Shade. Is the creator of our amazing intro. Big round of applause for that guy. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. And she did a really good job too, because I'm actually thinking about maybe getting a robot tattoo on my forearm. So I hope it's good. The staff at Visual Realm built our website. And then there's my wife, who's annoyed by the amount of female drama in the CW's The Flash. To all my friends, family, and the interweb. Thank you for joining this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots, and we'll see you tomorrow. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.